As much as I like to fight everyone, yeah, yeah. I'm having a pretty good time here. Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you mad? Um, okay, and I'm also going to record in the computer, so I have all of it. Hey, Louisa, what's up? Hi, Jake, how's it going? Pretty good. Um, how, so, I want to talk about the Bo Burnham thing because we have had, like, requests. Like, people literally were like, this is such a why you bad thing, you gotta talk about it. And I watched it, and I was like, yes, it is. But yes, it is. it sounds like... You are not in a space where you give a shit about <laughs> this at all. Hi. Okay. Honestly. Okay. Let's start here then since you're going to call me out right at That's the top. It's funny. It's a good dichotomy. Um, I know. Um, I'll be honest with you, Jake. I So you know how like the whole last year I was like, I think I'm going to quit comedy. And then uh, things reopened and I was like, I'm going to start a show. Um, I'm still thinking about quitting comedy. <laughs> um I'm giving myself the summer, like I said, I think on a show before and see if it works out and I break even and it's an enjoyable experience. And if not, I think in, by the fall, I'm out. Yeah, I don't I don't want any part of this. And I believe you as much as I believe Hannah Gatsby. I know. Shut up. And Bo, because <laughs> Bo lied, too. He said yeah. he quit. Happy was his quitting swan song. No uh, making quits. happy. Yeah. And then he fucking made this fucking thing. So he unquit. Um, and that's one of the things I want to remind people. You are free to quit at any point, And then you're free to come back whenever the fuck you want, because nobody can tell you shit. Right. <laughs> so what I'm saying is uh, I'm figuring out right now whether I enjoy it or not. And one of the things that is uh, why I bring this up is like, I am kind of getting tired of the repeated kind of debates about comedy, you know, like this fucking um, with the bow thing. We'll talk about his whole thing. But like uh, there was already so much conversation, like podcasts and articles and shit about how this is like another post comedy comedy. It's the the (laughs) same shit. Yeah, it's the same shit. It's like literally what you said about Annette and what you said about fucking make happy. Like, get the fuck out of here. It's fucking comedy, and it makes me so annoyed to even have to defend this because, Jake, I honestly don't like musical comedy, okay? Yeah, Cancel me now. Really <laughs> uh, no, I feel like this is a good opportunity to say, like, all the musical comedians out there that I haven't booked, I mean, don't take it personal. I just, like, don't book the kind of show where I can fit, like, a musical person. Like, I don't know. It's not it's, my thing, Jake. It's, I, it's so, not my thing. It's, like, pretentious. I whatever look I'm not even gonna get into insulting it I'm just gonna say like you know Steve makes fun of me all the time about how like I like the little jokes right like yeah. I like comics with their little jokes and it's true I do love that but I also really enjoy um storytellers and um sometimes characters can be good but not always to be honest with you I don't uh-huh. think it's like a sustainable kind of form of comedy it's a very and like sketch it's a very throwaway form of comedy you know what I was, on your, I was thinking about when i was watching yeah. this uh because he talks about this a little bit he does a sketch about um or he does a segment a song i don't know what the fuck these things are called yet yeah. about white lady instagram that was pretty mm-hmm. funny and pretty like uh honestly it was pretty, pretty depressing but i was thinking yeah. about how um this is like a hacky premise but let's just explore it is uh i was like in my head new york is twitter la is instagram and that was reflected through comedy because the comics here do the comics in new york do the little joke and Uh in uh, la you do characters and stuff and you're like on a little front-facing video screen all the time you put up little videos all day and that's what this is this is a this is a masterwork of a little video yes exactly (laughs) and so that's exactly thank you for bringing around to that because I do think that I have to admit my bias here before I say anything about Bo's special is yeah. that uh, musical comedy is like fucking fifth <laughs> on the list of what I think is good comedy. And honestly, the reason is because I do think that it is um, a lesser version of a joke and a lesser version of music. And therefore it is like splitting the difference and it's like a fun little um oh, look, this is cute. Somebody made a song. You know what I mean? Like one Weird Al song in between a thing here or whatever. It's a trick. Yeah, but an hour of it, even a 10-minute set of it, I'm I'm not really into it. It's not that interesting to me. I feel like I don't love it. But 
I happen to think that Bo Burnham is a genius. Right. It's weird, right? Yeah. It's very weird because it is this thing where it's like you can say like you don't like prop comedy, but there's like somebody that fucking Penn and Teller are excellent at what they do. It's so funny when someone takes something that is reviled like that and they're like, I'm going to do it so well that you'll be like forced to admit. This is how I felt. To admit that this is good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. This is how I felt about like Hamilton where I was like, Mm -hmm. I hate this, but I have to admit this is just good dancing and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And so to me, it I, I guess I'm just like completely tired of this argument of people being like, oh, this isn't really comedy. And it's like, bitch, even me, a little joke lover is not having this <laughs> stupid ass conversation about like, is this not comedy? Obviously, it's fucking comedy. It is actually um, like on a higher level than a lot of other comedy when you consider that, OK, as a little joke lover, a lot of little jokes are about fucking banal kind of shit right they're about dating on tinder and fucking i don't know what kind of food you like (laughs) whatever the fuck and this bo burnham thing is a deep exploration of what happened what happened to performers in a year of not being able to perform yeah right and did you see i don't know if you saw this um so there's like a twitter account that is um like four or five classicists, you know, like um, classics historians or whatever. Uh And they tweeted a thread that was all about how Inside by Bowen Burnham was actually a modern um, version of Plato's allegory of the cave. Whoa, cool. Yeah. And I don't want to take credit for their interpretation, so I'll retweet it. But basically, I mean, they're right. He did the exact same thing, which was to portray this like cave of being inside, right? Mm-hmm. That where his reality was completely formed by the projections on a wall, right? That, oh shit, yeah. Yeah, that formed what he believed was his entire world for a year, right? And then at the end, he has that scene where he like leaves the house and he walks outside, and then outside is the spotlight and the real audience that reveals the outside world that he was not seeing when he was inside. But then it cuts to him being inside, watching the video of him reacting (laughs) to being outside caught. So it becomes an allegory of the cave in the sense of like, it is about how your reality is defined by a, what you're looking at and B how you choose to perform it. Right. Yeah. So it's fucking highly intellectual. I would say it's fucking super deep in a lot of ways. And yet I fell asleep in the middle, Jake. Sure. Well, you also, (laughs) everyone that is enjoying it right now seems to be relating on a level of being very depressed and really stuck in what it jars you with. And uh, when I watched it, I I have this weird thing where every once in a while, it's a real problem. If I go to a coffee place and I get coffee outside of my apartment and it's cold brew, it like, I swear to God, it was worse than a drug. Like I have like a cocaine hangover from it. And I was just had no serotonin in my brain from fucking myself over with this and like not being able to eat and stuff like that. And then so I was like really down in the pits when someone was like, you should watch this. And I was like, well, I'm glued to my couch (laughs) and I can't move. And so it really hit me where it's supposed to, I guess. Totally. You remember that I told you that I I started watching it and then I had to turn it off 10 minutes in because I am too happy right now to watch this. Yeah, that's what happened, (laughs) I think. Honestly, I'm like, I'm killing it right now in life. I know people (laughs) don't like to hear that. But I well, really turned it on and I was like, this is so depressing. And then I turned it off and right. then I came back and watched it later and then fell asleep in the middle. <laughs> You're having <laughs> a then, good time right now. That was yeah. not the time for you to listen to like Radiohead or Leonard Cohen or something like yes, that. Right. Exactly. But those things do have context and they do connect Absolutely. depending yeah. on the mood that the audience is in. So yeah. I think maybe that maybe you're too outside for inside right now. Right. Yeah. You're having a good yeah. time. You're out in the fucking wilderness and shit. Yeah. No. And I think... Uh, so this is weird, but I also think like I met Bo only like once or twice and he is one of the weirdest comics I've ever met, Jake. Like, you know, there are I think comics range from like there's some who are very comfortable in social th- situations and like network and they know how to fucking be the life of the party and whatever yeah. to like fully maybe like on the spectrum yeah. <laughs> and like very uncomfortable around people and can't make eye contact. And um, it's, it's extremely strange to see, man, I remember, do you remember Ozzy Osbourne? He had that fucking show on MTV with his yeah, family yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, the and you remember that he was like, 
he would like walk around like a fucking invalid, like, you know, like mumbling shit that you couldn't understand. Like, yeah, you, you know, you were really like, fuck, Ozzy's lost, lost it, you know, he did a lot and of then drugs, he would yeah. walk. Yeah. And then he would walk on stage, Jake, and then turn on. And right? it was like, boom, fucking Ozzy is back. Yeah. <laughs> like full, <laughs> the whole thing there. Um, that's what I think. Wait, why was it telling? You? I don't even know. You were talking oh, about Bo well, when you met him. Yeah, exactly. When I met him. So Bo, I watched him do a show that blew my mind as a person who walked into that theater being like, oh, I'm not a big fan. You know, yeah. like, I don't like music stuff. I, I just got invited here and it's a free show. So like, let me check it out. And that shit blew my mind. I'm talking about when he did Make Happy uh-huh. uh, and he was touring it. I went because Marianne at the time was um, a Gersh agent and she represented... Um, Whatever. She represented another comic that was opening for Bo. So she invited me to go watch Bo. And she texted me and I was like, Ugh, like I really don't like this YouTube dude, but okay, let's like I had a policy at the time to say yes to all comedy shows. Mm-hmm. And it fucking blew my mind, Jake, because Make Happy was very much about the conflict that he had about being a performer yeah. and the relationship that he had as a performer with an audience of like you love me and I depend on your love, but then how does that shape the thing that I do for you? And how does that shape your response to me? Because we're already in this codependent relationship. You know what I mean? And it was clear that the pressure of that is what pushed him out of wanting to do this stand-up. And then we get inside, which is like, after he's already had successful like film, he's directed films, he's directed comedy specials by other young comics, He's moved on to other creative projects where he's shown that he has talent as well, you know? And yet, in this moment of, like, everybody's trapped and there's a pandemic and everything's horrible, his response was to do this thing of, like, performing, I guess, for himself for a whole year, right? And trying to formulate that into a thing that he could present. To me, one of the most striking lines in the thing was, like, there was one point at towards like middle to the end where he was like, he looks at the camera and he's just like, I'm never going to finish this. I'm never going to put this out. <laughs> if I <laughs> it, like, if I finish it, then I'm going to have to think of like the next thing that I have to do. So I'm just going to keep on working for on this forever. This is never going to be seen by the public. And like, you could tell it's a very real scene of him just being like, this is only for me. This is not, you know, like he's struggling on whether or not this is for an external audience or for himself. Yeah. And to me, that's like of de Kooning, who I brought up before, who's like one of my favorite painters. Um, He never finished his paintings. Like what he said was like, they're only finished when I sell them because then they no longer belong to me. But while they belong to me, they will forever need another color and another touch up and, you know, like another little mark of like, it could have been this, you know, like change it. And it speaks so much to me about like how art, the process of art is actually more important to artists than the final product that they make. But I think that like maybe capitalism and a lot of other things have forced artists to think of their art as the product that they create and how that can be sold and marketed as opposed to how their art is precisely in the moment of the creation. I think about that a lot because I um, have talked about this a few times, but like I had like a, An album I was going to record, I never really got the recording I want, and so I'm going to put it out with, like, just a recording that is just example of the hour. But I also, like, on it, I had to prune all the stuff off of it. Certain stuff didn't sound good or whatever. And, like, I've just lost. There's just some material that I wrote and that had a great time performing for years, you know, for like a couple years straight when it was alive and now it's dead because of the pandemic and there's no reason to bring it back really. And I feel like I need to write new stuff. And like, there's this thing, I can't remember what religion or it's like Buddhist or something where like somebody fucking makes a sand painting by like, you know, colored sand, putting it on the ground. And then at the end of it, the ritual is you take a big rake and you fuck it all up and you just go, there's the lesson, right? To understand that it, the process itself is just the fucking point, and you need to stop thinking yeah. about things in these like end result ways, ways like yeah. linearly or, or like that or whatever, you know. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think with like yeah, that moment that he's describing, I don't know. Yeah, it's cool. It made me think about that, which is probably something that resonated a lot with what people were going through in the pandemic. 
Yeah, no, I love it because it was like him acknowledging sort of subconsciously that the lifeline for him is not the final product and who sees it, but the process of doing it every day and like waking up and having a thing to do, you know, like I, I tweeted half jokingly that like my favorite thing about inside was thinking of like imagining Bo redecorating his little room every day and yeah. like, getting his little packages with his little like lights and shit that he was going to do. Um, because And like, I'm half joking, but like literally that's what I think kept him alive. Right. It was like the daily, like a package arrived with my new thing that I'm going to use to like do a new video and doing like a new version of the song and then trying to edit it into the thing. It wasn't the thought of what will people think at the end. It wasn't the thought of how will how much will this sell for. It was very much just I have to wake up and do something each day. And. You know, he had a line in one of the songs, actually, that I disagreed with. Where it was like, let me not butcher it. It was something like, it was like a chorus little line that said, um, being bored is a crime and being, oh, and apathy is whatever. Like both apathy and being bored is bad, basically. Yeah. And, oh, it was during the internet song, which I fucking actually really loved. Do you remember that one where it was like... uh, a little bit of everything all the time. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like, like over, how would you it's like, like all about over how everybody's being overwhelmed with all of these choices and all these things at the tip of their hands. But then the chorus was like, it said this thing about um, uh, apathy is bad and boredom is bad. And like, that's why you have to keep, like it implied that that's what's driving you to keep seeking all of this overwhelming knowledge. But apathy is bad and boredom is bad is also what keeps driving an artist to continue creating. Right. Right. It's, it is also a positive force of if you engage with the world around you, then apathy is not possible and boredom is not possible. And I think he, the whole special contradicts that one particular line because he is completely unapathetic and unbored. (laughs) You know, he's like extremely obsessed with getting this thing done. But he contradicts himself a lot and he also tells you that he's aware he's contradicting himself. And I think that what he's grappling with is just the fact that the pandemic has forced a lot of these contradictions into focus and Mm -hmm. they're hard to understand. And when you stare at them, they go in circles and stuff like that. And so like when art, like creative types, you know, comics and stuff like that, had to endure the pandemic a lot of them i think you know what's it's funny that actually what's kind of funny is that this didn't really happen but what should have happened and what i think happened for someone like him that was thoughtful about it was it it called into nature the absurdity of the thing that you are constantly doing out of habit and that you constantly have amnesia as a comic that you forget the point was to write new stuff and to be driven and to you know have like a, a creative drive that isn't based on getting a big laugh and getting a gig and making fucking 500 bucks yeah. in a weekend or whatever, right? And so yep. th- it's like a raw nerve that was exposed and you have to see it under like a spotlight that you will not get once the, the fucking world opens up again, you know? Yeah. yeah. I love that at the beginning he'd said something like, um, it was like one of the first lines that he said that was um, about like how he was sitting at home thinking about like all the fucked up things that are happening in the world and then he's like, how can I help the world but in a way that I still get paid and I'm the center of attention? <laughs> like that is perfect like i feel like that's at the center of the conflict for a lot of performers right where they're just like yeah uh this is my lane and my skill so like how do i get it done there there is something i kind of don't like about bo burnham Burnham. and when it was i honestly i think i heard someone do a character one time on comedy bang bang and i think they were making fun of him i might be imagining (gasps) this but i definitely connected it and it was really funny because it was somebody like doing a character that was like a young white artist guy, and the guy's whole whole like bit as a as a like a comedy character was just like, "What you need to recognize what we have done," and you know he's like very apologetic. For they being, framed like, a, in like a big SJW. Yeah, and he was, but he was just it was like over the top, and it was really funny, yeah. and it made me think a lot about the somebody like Bo Burnham because yeah, I like him, but like um. 
when he was younger, I think he was a lot less articulate about this sort of stuff where he was yeah, like sure. um, doing this thing where you're a pretentious white guy. But if you say it first and you say, I'm a self-aware that I'm a fucking pretentious hipster or whatever, then it pulls the rug out and then people can't make fun of you for it because you're self-aware about it. In this yeah. special, he does that and then he continues to say, and I'm aware that by saying that, I am still kind of being like protecting myself from being perceived as sort of a pretentious person who thinks yeah. they're a know-it-all or whatever. And he really continues to do that in a way where I'm like, this is pretty genuine. Like he cannot yeah. get out of it. And he starts to really like skewer and just drive home points about himself and oh, just white people in general. The yeah. thing with the socko is fucking really good where the mm -hmm. sock is yelling at him and saying like, you fucking white people, even when you try to like help, you always make it about like personal growth and all this stuff. Yeah. And I'm sitting here telling you that you need to on your own you. understand like the means yeah. of production and all this stuff and the way society is set up and like you just still uh, and then like I don't know if you, that's a thing that like a person can't make them un themselves I can't make themselves yeah. not their own perspective but I think that he's done a good job at like at like going far enough with that where you're like you're aware that he's aware that he's aware that he's unaware you know what I mean Totally. No, that's why I would say that um, anybody who maybe is new to Bo Burnham or yeah, I don't know. You should go back and watch Make Happy because I think Make Happy is a necessary companion to Inside, right? Because in Make Happy, he says one, at one point, I want to say it's also at the beginning, um, where he says, like, they, they always tell you, write what you know. But what if you've been performing since you were 17, so the only thing you know is performing? Then doesn't it become a self-referential -refer thing where you're only talking about performing and then who cares about that? And for me, from that moment, it was very clear that he was a person who was genuinely examining what it means for his identity to be a performer, and, like in real life, and what it meant for his relationships with other people. Because since he was 17, his relationships were mediated through like fandom and through people perceiving him as a performer that they look up to and shit like that. So like, that's why he's fucking awkward and weird and doesn't know how to make eye contact and can't connect with people, Jake, because he's literally been doing this since he was 17. So he's never existed in a world where he is an adult that is perceived outside of his performed version of himself. Yeah, as a child you star. Me? Yeah, exactly. And that to me is so much more genuine than every single comic who works in a way where they're like, how do I climb the ladder and how do I get all the night, night, uh, late night spots and the thing that I have to do? Because those people are not plumbing the depths of their existence to create art. They are picking cherry picking things of their experience and whatever and of other people's experience to try to form a marketable persona based on what they were told is sellable yeah i was thinking about this a while back because i talked yeah. about this on duncan trussell where i was talking about like um i was trying to connect like materialism and marxism to comedy and i was yeah. talking about how like it's a funny thing when you're a comic where you um you have a choice. Like when you start writing material, you can write material about your life and your day job and stuff like that. And sometimes executives come to town cause they're like, you know, looking at the local talent yeah. and they'll say, Oh, you know, okay. So I didn't give you an A on that one set because you, uh, you talked about like your day job and like, you know, that's like hacky. That's like, no, we're looking for something yeah. extra, something like next level or whatever. And it's weird because it's like, well, that is my experience. And also yeah. it's experience of a lot of people in the audience. So fuck you. And then so for, out of that, Sometimes you get like blue collar comedy types, and like, I mean, people make a whole bit out of it. But the other thing that happens is that, like what a lot of people do, especially like back in 2015, like around the time I moved to New York, 2014 or whatever. Um, do you do like the broad city thing where you write uh, a show that's about you? You know, you're you're I'm a broke Your person group. moving yeah. to Brooklyn or whatever, and yeah. but you idealize it so hard because in the process of getting to the point in an industry where you get to then make a show about your life and it's like about how I'm from the projects or I'm from whatever or like whatever this thing, it's a it's a sterilized thing because what you take out is the part where you cut ahead of people at open mics and stuff. 
like that and did the thing in like the comedy in the fucking mechanism that you used to get to that level and there's yeah. this innate like agreement almost or like an understanding that like oh no 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 we don't talk about that part that part isn't re- relative to me telling my story it's like what how long do you have to do comedy where co- until comedy becomes part of your story so i think mm-hmm. with somebody like bo burnham where he's a child star so he's looking at it he's like well this is unavoidable i have yeah. to, this has to be relevant to what i'm talking about yeah it would be insane if someone like Bo Burnham made a story about growing up in fucking Kansas or wherever the fuck he's from. His story but that's is... What's, but that's what's crazy because... Ooh, so this might get me canceled. I'm not going to name any names, but <laughs> there are a lot of new TV shows this year, Jake, that feature a lot of stand-up comedians either like starring or writing on the shows. And there are a lot of people who are, you know, hyping them up because they want to support their friends and because it's like different types of voices getting opportunities to write and to perform and to star. And absolutely, I believe in those things. But most of these shows are not good, Jake. Um, (laughs) They are shows where the people are not doing great acting. The writing is not good. The opinions, like the political fucking opinions are not good. And to me... These are all products of people who are not actually exploring their experience and considering the ethics and the practice of their role as performers and content creators and media creators and whatever, but just entirely thinking of like what's sellable and putting out what is marketable. And so it, it's like easy for critics to be like, oh, this is perfect. This is great. <laughs> this is what we're looking for. But it's actually not good. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. Yeah, it's, it's almost like that stuff is written for the critics. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I feel really bad because a lot of them are actually really good stand-up comics. And I have to acknowledge that, like, you know, stand-up comedy can't really provide a living for you in the way that, like, having a TV show would. So you do have to figure out this version of yourself that you want to sell. But I think you need to accept or like admit to yourself that it's not going to be a version of yourself that is as real as whoever you were as a standup. Yeah. And I, and I think that that's like something that Bo Burnham struggles with and very much talks about, about like what he really wants to talk about versus what is sellable and what his audience is like. Oh. And it's a detriment that standups don't actively interrogate that enough and maybe they do privately but they don't in their material and i think we are at a point where comedy is like it's no longer like a niche thing like i think it's popular enough that we can be doing comedy about comedy yeah and talking about what it means to be a performer and to be a performer within capitalism and to be a performer ethically and all this shit and it is still comedy and it's still funny and Bo proved that and Nanette proved that <laughs> and anybody who wants to be like, oh, this isn't real comedy, I think they are caping for the status quo of yeah, never sucks. acknowledging the reality you're of literally, what being you're a performer say, is like. You're being a purist about an art form in a sense yeah. that like it is only you only accept it if it is done in the form it was done in vaudeville, like in mm-hmm. lounge acts, which is not it's barely even that it's literally a hundred years ago get a life yeah it's crazy I was watching yeah. I was watching Scarface last night and Richard Belzer's in it doing fucking stand up at like one <laughs> I of the love Belzer <laughs> but as an artifact of comedy <laughs> it was so weird to watch as a film yeah. like a scene in a movie and go like huh I wonder what that set was like I bet I could feel what it was like and it's honestly yeah. not that different than a lot of what stand up is so I understand or what stand up is today still so I understand why people are like well it's not this unless it's you know, it's not comedy unless it's this because we have this like fucking form of preserving it or whatever. But I think honestly, that shit is going with the way of the dinosaurs. It, I've been saying this for fucking 10 plus years because people used to say, oh, you do online stuff. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's not comedy. And I was like, oh, look what, look what happened to literally everything over the last everything, 10 years. Everything. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking about this because. I think cool young comics are like going to push the boundaries in a way that are like it's it's just going to make these old fucking stand up purists like feel ancient. And uh, have you ever seen Sarah Squirm? Mm-hmm. She's yeah. I I I want to see her live show pretty soon because I'm very curious. But I like the videos that she makes, and I think what she does is like she's going to be at the Bell House June 16th, I believe. Look it up, people. Go if you're if you're going to be in New York. I wanted to go, but I'm out of town. She does like I'm this sh- shit with like body horror. That's like an yeah. element in it. And when I look at that, I go, Why the fuck didn't I do that? Why didn't everyone <laughs> think of doing something that cool that has yeah. like this obvious artistic fucking background pastiche thing to it? 
because we're stupid and we were like, no, 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 no. That if I add anything onto this, thing, and it's yeah. like this is not clearly things are moving in like this opposite direction. We're like, what, you know. Yeah, what Nanette was and what this is and all of this yeah. stuff is like you wouldn't you wouldn't say oh music it's only music if you play it on an old timey piano or whatever like yeah. it's it, it has pro wrestling elements and fucking kayfabe and stuff and like your entire mm-hmm. Andy it's informed by the Andy Kaufman stuff of having an ongoing mythology and shit like that yeah this is a whole huge like connected thing or whatever and. I don't know. I, I so when I watched this, I I got a little bit caught up in the in the Nanette discourse too, obviously because of me, and because uh, <laughs> you loved Nanette. <laughs> someone, some 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 people were saying like, oh, you know, white guy makes a thing and you, everyone loves it, but Hannah Gatsby made Nanette and everyone was mad about it. And I was thinking about that. I was like, is this true? And then I, but I, then I think I, that's true. I dude, here's the you thing. don't think that's true? No, and well, because no, I would no. say the thing that matches up with Nanette is make happy though, not inside. Right. Well, on the one hand, there's two differences. I think off the top yeah. of my head. First one is um, actually everyone loved Nanette. Like it has 100 yeah. percent on Rotten Tomatoes and stuff. Yeah. What you're saying is that if literally everyone didn't fall in line, then this is like a fucking a hate failure, crime or whatever. Yeah. And no, it, it is wildly successful and she is wildly yeah. successful and she won every award on the planet and is considered mm-hmm. one of the greatest comedians of all time. So I don't think that that, yep. I think you're saying if there's somebody on Facebook is mad about it, which also means if you are somebody who didn't like this fucking Bo Burnham special, you guess what? You're allowed to do that too. You were the, you were the Facebook guy yeah. now and it's all allowed. And like, you were just fucking railing at something. But I will say this as somebody who <laughs> kind of didn't like the net is that the reason I didn't like it is because it was about, how you should feel bad for like liking bad mean comedy or whatever and this I, I just I liked Bo Burnham more in this because he was just the self-flagellating and he was like it's alright if you don't like me I suck you know it was like just way more ingratiating in a way yeah. where I, I just was like yeah I don't feel like I'm put off by this I I agree because of everything we've talked about where I'm like a personal responsibility person, you know, like I acknowledge that there are systems and narratives that are like oppress my life and have an effect on my life, but I have no control over those things. So I tend to be a person that considers my own behavior and how I can do these things. So I appreciate somebody like Bo who is trying to tackle that end of it of like how am I complicit in things how am I contributing to negative things how does my performance actually affect the world you know like it's very in a, a personal examination and self-flagellation about how you could be better in the world and that's what I relate to but I do think that the Nanette thing is the other side of the same coin yeah. which is the acknowledgement of the systems and the narratives that oppress everyone around you that are outside of our control, right? So, like, the, it is two sides of the same coin. Talking about the things that you can't control and the things that you can that would change what the world is as we perceive it. And so I don't, I don't see these things as antagonistic. I don't see them as not comedy or post-comedy. They're absolutely comedy. Comedy is about commenting on your place in the world and how you see it and finding some humor in it. And both of them did that. Yeah, And the fact that you don't think that like the jokes per minute measured up to what your standard is of comedy doesn't mean that this isn't comedy. Dude, Dave Chappelle has literally put he's... out five things in a row with one joke in it. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't even do comedy anymore. He just makes speeches. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so if we're going to have this conversation about how Bo and fucking Nanette are not comedy, then you need to include Dave Chappelle in this conversation. Yeah, no, I don't buy any of that. I think all of these yeah. things are definitely comedy, and it's a stupid argument. Yeah. The argument you should be having is whether they're good, which is yeah. totally up for grabs. Which, yeah, I could hear both sides of it, but um, this is going to go to another side of things, but there was another quote in Bo's thing that made me think a lot, which was at one point he said something like, this year I learned a lot about the fact that human interaction will literally kill you, (laughs) right? Because of COVID, right? Yeah. And then, and about the fact that all human interaction, including emotional, comical, sexual, business, everything should be limited to this safe digital space, right? And that really set me off thinking about my compartmentalization thing, Jake. Uh Like, okay, as someone who is 10 years older than Bo... I think that one of the things that he's suffering from is this compartmentalization of modern life that we're all used to of like 
this is who I am as a performer. This is who I am in front of my family. This is who I am in front of my friends. This is who I am when I'm in a pitch meeting and being a business person. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That fragments each individual psyche. And I think like that's what I see Bo suffering of is his psyche is fragmented by all these things pulling him in different directions. That is like a thing that affects all of us. And to me, this line was like a, a reminder that my project I think is, is valuable. And obviously like maybe not for everyone because you might live the kind of life where compartmentalization is useful and a survival tactic and whatever for you. But if you're not, I think that Bo, let's say, and I think most of the comics that I know would benefit from taking away this idea of compartmentalizing yourself into different facets of who you should be. And instead trying to live this like single faceted life where what you talk about on stage matches up with the kind of person that you are in real life, because you're ultimately connecting with humans when you go on stage and like putting out ideas. Right. And if those ideas are contradictory who you to who you actually are in life, then you're going to attract people who don't match up with your actual worldview. So I understand that it, you might be in a position where you have a persona that is marketable, but if that persona doesn't match up with who you actually are in your real life, that's detrimental to your individual growth. And for me, hearing Bo, who I already perceived as this, as this person who has some difficulty connecting with other people talking about how this year like drove home for him that in-person interactions are toxic and could kill you, but we should put all our in our, all our interpersonal interactions online really like set off alarm bells for me. You know what I mean? Like it was just like, this is the thing we should be avoiding of believing that somehow connecting with each other is dangerous and is um, toxic and bad for us, and that we should compartmentalize into, like, on this social media platform, I have the people who think I'm funny. On this social media platform, I have the people who think I'm hot. I just think we would all be so much happier if we would just meld those into one. No, I agree. Does that make sense? Yeah, I don't know. no, I agree 100%, yeah. and I think I've been trying to live that personally as a person to... Yeah. Uh, to, Me too. To, to great, yeah. like, f publicly. Like, everybody fucking has to watch this happen to me over everything that's fucking happened in the last few years and I the one through line I have is like why well, I am who I am like fuck you it's, yeah. uh, this is consistent it's nothing of, I'm not consistent I, honestly I and think, I'm gonna be this in meat space and in digital space yeah and yeah. like mm -hmm. the, I d understand that you're exactly right that's what that's what is a conflict and a problem for a lot of people and that's what yeah. sets people off and makes them have extreme crises because we're living yeah. in a world where you you know you think you can't you think you yeah. can and honestly when you get busted for being inconsistent you're being literally like busted like you're trying to get yeah. away with something because you're getting something out of because like you were though you were trying to get away with something you were trying to get away with being one thing in front of this person and one thing in front of another person because some of those things are advantageous even yeah. though they are inconsistent with who you are which will come back mm -hmm. and bite you in the ass it's like a moral character yeah. thing or whatever well here is just thing though i think that when he was talking about that in inside that maybe that was part of a narrative arc where he's going down the wrong path because this does yeah. have an arc to it where he's like, you know, trying to figure this out and then going through something and then it results in this like weird Christ metaphor thing at the end where he's like, yeah. he's having a meltdown and I think that's like the false climax and then the real fucking end of the story is him breaking out of the house, right? Yeah. So I'm mean, freaking out when he breaks out. Yeah. yeah. I, and I think the end tells you that he knows as a product, like as the end, as the end result of this product that you're right about what you're saying. Yeah. But I, yeah. In order to, but I think he ultimately seeks like, I so much, I don't he does know him the thing all, where he's I like, so I'm, much want to like reach out to him and be like, dude, I will be your big brother. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'll help you through this, like finding yourself and being one person and being true to yourself because it is worth it. And it's not easy. Oh, Jake, honestly, most of the conversations I'm having with people lately are about this. It's like, in, I'm not being condescending and superior when I say to people, like, you should be trying to like synthesize all the parts of you into a single person that you present to everyone. It is fucking hard. I am not pretending that it's so easy and like anybody can do it. It is really, really hard, but it, it will pay off for you if you end up in a situation where you feel truly seen and truly loved 
for who you are and everything you do is a thing that satisfies every part of you. I, I it's think it's so it. funny to be an artist because yeah. you are, when you declare that about yourself and you say it's what you're going to do with your life, you are claiming that is your goal more than other yeah. people, more than other yeah. people. Other people, it's like, oh, you know, the goal is to survive and have kids and yeah. fucking doing the business and all this shit. But you're like, it's I'm going to find the truth, yeah. right? But it's impossible and because it's especially in capitalism, like something I've been thinking about a lot lately is uh, artists that do commercials. Like remember how Thomas Middleditch did that like Capital One commercial like <laughs> yeah. a year ago and everyone was making fun of him because fuck that yeah. and shit. And like there's this thing where I, every time I see someone do that, every time I see some stupid fucking celebrity do like – like, you know, Jonathan Van Ness, the Queer Eye guy, was yelling yeah. at us about how we have to vote for fucking whoever, like, a year ago. And then also he was doing yeah. Uber Eats commercials. I was like, fuck you, you're the fucking enemy. Like, that, you yeah. can't have it both ways. All those dumbass Twitter celebrities did it. Mark Hamill did it. You know, and I was thinking about that. I was like, how the fuck do they conceive of the world if they cannot see the glaring contrast here? And it's like, well, that's exactly it. They conceive of it is backwards engineered because... For them, once you get success, you have to have it. And the yeah. reason that you would do something as degrading and fucking evil as a commercial for an evil company is because... It's because you had to keep that lifestyle going. And there's a, yeah. there's a justification, which is yeah. that, like, well, this is how it works. This is literally how entertainment works in yeah. America, is it's run on Samuel ads. Samuel Jackson does the Capital, capital One <sighs> I know. commercials now. All these motherfuckers yeah. do, right? And it's yeah. like, well, like, why? Like, why would you... Why does the justification work? Well... So what does the phrase you have to do mean? Well, you yeah. have to or else or else what? Or else I wouldn't be able to do this professionally alone by and, itself, right? And so yeah. all these people are telling you it's better for me to fucking throw myself out there, get the money, have a glaring inconsistency that essentially undercuts anything else I want to say about anything than literally just wait tables or whatever or like fucking yeah. work in an office or whatever also which is what like you can just do that like everyone fucking does it all the time you know yeah I think that uh, I think you're right it's about consistency <sighs> um, but I guess that means we liked it right <laughs> yeah I don't know but kind of uh, having back and forth about it I when yeah. I was watching it I was like this fucking rules and I was like yeah. but I'm aware that I feel certain ways about this and like it's pretentious and it is what it is but honestly I mean I, this calls it a question. What is, what does it mean to have an opinion on this? A, B, yeah. C, ten out of fucking ten. I don't like. I it did something to me that was extremely like I liked it. And well, that's why I think that ultimately it is a good comedy special because there is so much to think about and talk about, and it affected people in a lot of ways. And there are many, many comedy specials that come out, and they're barely a blip. For anyone, Jake, because there's not a thing there that is engaging and that is conflicting for people. Or, and, and to me, that is the essence of what good comedy is. This is and why this it, and Nanette are my favorite comedy specials. Yeah, and dude. Not- and it makes me, listen, and it makes me, as a little joke lover, I'm very upset to have to admit that I like <laughs> this musical dude and this fucking storyteller lady. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, ah, I... I hate to admit this right now, but they both tackled the experience and problem and conflict of being a performer and creating content for people to connect through and to and with more than most of my favorite little joke writers. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what's weird is I love stand-up when I'm watching it live, but it's because it's live and you're experiencing it like fucking cobra club came back yeah. this last few weeks and i went and did it i did the second night they were open and yeah. uh or the second night the show the comedy show was happening and it was I'm like so sorry i missed it i really wanted to go it's all right i mean it's back you know comedy's gonna yeah. be back it's gonna happen again and it felt so fucking good and i was yeah. like i brought some friends out and i was like oh you gotta watch this next person pay attention she's yeah. really fucking funny you know yeah it was the whole fucking loving we were doing cheers with shots and stuff like that Beautiful. and it was my favorite thing in the world and you know what if you had recorded that and put it on netflix i'd fucking skip it because it wasn't <laughs> the show Not interesting yeah it was something else it's just something that you yeah. engage with in a different way and so i think like that like stand-up we, we keep putting out like these every fucking st- there's like a million stand-up specials and they keep coming out on the basis on the premise that like this is someone's gonna do like eddie murphy raw again and it's like that's not how art works like it's not gonna happen again like that you know every once in a while maybe there's something where can i tell you i'm the worst person for anybody to ask me like what you think of a special 
because I hate nine out of 10 specials. And here's the reason. Okay. It's not because they're not good. It's because ultimately they are always this like attempt to retroactively capture a good set that happened in the future. Yeah. You understand me? Like every bit in an hour special, right? Because so for the people who are not familiar with comedy, the hour breaks down into bits, meaning it's like little chunks of things that are about one subject and they have a single arc. And then there is like a connecting thing to the next thing. And that's another arc, right? So a special is composed of a bunch of little sets that in the past murder in a room, <laughs> you know, and then the comic was like, this is the best. This is a good thing that I did. So then they put it into this hour and then they go perform this like very sterile hour like i'm sorry even when you do it yourselves or when you do it for comedy central it's sterile it's like a it's um like you can i personally can see the comics nerves about trying to put this whole thing together and to me it's not a representation of being in the room all these months in the past when all these different bits worked really well it's an attempt to capture lightning in a bottle after lightning has happened you understand me yeah And I feel bad for most comedy fans because if you're not out here watching live comedy, you're only getting this bottled lightning version of comedy, which is a diluted version of comedy. It's not the real thing that happens in a room when comics are working out new things and fucking hitting it and running a room and fucking controlling the audience. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's another example to me of like the point of stand up is not the end goal. The point of stand up is the process and the daily experience of doing that set. Yeah. Those those like late night sets, it's like it's like yeah. a photograph of a moment and you exactly. can't experience yeah. the moment, but the moment was the best part. And when yeah. people say they don't like comedy, I'm like, I know cuz you weren't there. Cuz you weren't there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You didn't you didn't actually see the real thing. You saw a videotaped version of the thing. I would say like, okay, look. Um uh you know my background is in museums and shit and I had this one professor who's was the curator of ephemeral art at MoMA. Okay, check that out. That was his actual title. Yeah. So what that means is that he was in charge of art that is time-based, basically. So either it was like a live performance, like um, John Cage kind of thing, or it is something that could be material, but like, for example, it could be like some artist built a sculpture but then blew it up. Right. Yeah. So then the art was the performance of blowing up the sculpture you created. So this museum and this curator then had to have these conversations about if MoMA wants to own this artwork, does that mean that we collect the blown up pieces of the sculpture? Or does that mean we collect the video of the explosion itself? (laughs) Or does that mean that we collect the artist's explanation for why he blew up his sculpture? Right? Yeah. And it becomes this thing of like understanding art in its time and place, right? Where they're in ephemeral art, you can't capture the actual art. You can only capture the documentation of the art, right? Yeah. And I very much think that's what stand-up is. You can't capture actual real good stand-up. Like every time I hear comics talking about like I have to get a good tape and I keep trying to get a good tape, but then every time I try to get a good tape, shit goes wrong. And when I do have a good set, I wasn't taping. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like very much like you're trying to catch lightning in a bottle and it is not possible. Because the only way to truly experience stand-up is to be in that room in the moment of it all working out and the audience responding to you and you vibing with them and all of that shit. And every single version, whether it's an album or a special or a half hour or a late night set, is a retroactive attempt to bottle the energy that was in a past room over this material. You try to draw a memory, man. You're like the police sketch artist. Yeah, it's fucked up. Comedy yeah. is not a Pokemon you can catch and keep Mm-mm. in a ball and throw out there. And that's again. what makes it beautiful. It's not catchable. Yeah. You just got to be out there every night. That's why I think it's cool. And like, honestly, I had like a lot of stress about going like, oh man, I lost my hour to the pandemic or like maybe I'm going to put it out and it's not going to be as good yeah. as it is. And it's like, it doesn't matter. I can put out anything. People probably won't listen to it, honestly, because that's not how people experience comedy anymore. And like the thing, the art, it was the million shows I did with the fucking people in them, you know? And you can do that material now in a different context of who you are now and the audience that you get now. And it's a different thing than whatever you taped a year ago. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
that's the problem is that it is very of the moment. And I think that's exactly what Bo was wrestling with is that he wanted that interaction of the moment and he was stuck in his room trying to build this like facsimile, like simile, right? Like a different, like a, a fake version that would satisfy what he couldn't get in reality. And I think that's the greater commentary on comedy is that so much of what's actually put out as comedy is a facsimile of what comedy actually is. He also fucked with the, like wrestled with the internet a lot in that it does yeah. serve as a facsimile for that a lot with like yeah. the likes and the the yeah. absurdity of being like a Twitch streamer and being like, yeah. oh, what's up everyone? All right. You know, I'm going to do the thing again today or whatever. And how like, yeah. it's, it's kind of funny because like he should have probably a, a very unrelatable experience, but he, I think it's also worked and it struck a nerve with a lot of people who aren't even performers because we are now all performers because of like instagram and shit social media yeah yeah and uh yeah yeah, now we're all kind of trapped in that loop of like getting like this methadone of like likes and stuff like that Mm -hmm. instead of the gratification of real actually human being connection. known and seen and loved. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty fucked up. That's a, I think it is about right. being loved. I think it's why yeah. he added that weird Christ thing yeah. where he was like, yeah. you know what? Well, I don't even remember what the song was, but it was just like, you know, it was weird. Like it was weird. Like Messiah shit where it's just, yeah. it's just about being loved. Isn't it? You know? No, but he's been wrestling with that because it is like, honestly, you're, you all as performers are doing this to be loved in a way. Yeah, absolutely. But there, but there's a thing to be questioned of like, is the love real or genuine or worth anything if it is only based on a persona that doesn't actually reflect who I am? Or do I put myself out there and risk being loved or rejected on who I actually am? It's a real tragedy if the person that you yeah. made up is very much loved and then you say, well, and hey, you guys, really are. Yeah. here's who I actually am. And people are like, boo. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think this is a perfect place to end it. And then we can do our Patreon episode because I have to pee mainly. All right. Did you have anything else on Bo, though? Um, pee and then we'll figure it out. Okay. All right. Pause. I think I might have one or two okay. things. Okay. Uh, so I, I, I guess I had one more thought about him, which is something that kind of came up when people were arguing about Nanette, which I didn't really understand why this was brought up. People were saying, well, they're both really successful. And then somebody said, Look, they're both worth, uh, in the case of Hannah Gatsby, $1 million, and in his case, $4 million. And I think they were trying to say, like, he's worth more money, but also, like, to me, I'm like, no, those are both rich people. Yeah. So <laughs> your point doesn't make any sense. But I, uh, yeah. also, I was reading his replies. I was reading replies about uh, the Sako segment because he clearly read cool stuff when he was in lockdown and learned about Marxism and shit. And so mm-hmm. he made that segment with the sock puppet being the person who's able to say things that he can't say, which yeah. is that the workers own the means of production and they keep it away from you to keep society organized in a certain way. And that's how you keep everyone down. And if you want to help, you have to understand that and not be someone who just thinks about it in terms of you being a better white person or whatever. Right. Yeah. It was a really funny sketch. It was cool. I was watching it. I was like, hell yeah, Sako, good job. I like this. And people tried to yeah. say, well, he's worth $4 million and he's a rich, famous celebrity. So like, why is he saying that? And no, the, no, it's good that he's saying that that's called a class trader. Everyone yeah. who has, we a, love class traders. Yeah. yeah. Everyone who, that, and that's, I guess this is like where I'm kind of ending on him. Cause I'm like, you kind of want to hate the guy a little bit sometimes yeah. as like as the type of guy I am and as a comic and as a dirtbag and all this stuff. I'm like, oh, he's this posh artist. But when like the people that are like at the top of society like that are not inherently bad people. It's what that stuff usually incentivizes them to do with their time and their money and their skills and their lives and their messaging and all this stuff that fucking sucks that you can be that person and do what he does, which is understand it and be honest about it and dare to conflict with what everything is incentivizing you to do with it to do yeah and that's fucking cool and you have to hand it to him so i have to be like you know what i think this fucking special rips i think it's badass i agree i think you did it right yeah i think the why you mad take is uh bow rules yeah both fans even though even though it's musical comedy (laughs) Bonely fans. Yeah. No, No, and and I feel 
like it's like proof of the fact that I'm like, it may not be my favorite kind of comedy, but I can recognize when this is like fucking really good. Yeah, it's weird because yeah. it's not my favorite kind either. And yet yeah. I'm like, you but you're doing it in the best yeah. way I could imagine. And that yeah. is exceeding my expectations to an extent where I'm like, you know what? Even par- there were parts of this where maybe it yeah. dropped a little bit and I was taken out of it. And I was like, you know what? He kind of just sounds like Weird Al. Like he's just making yeah. Weird Al music. You know when Weird Al makes original music that isn't like yeah. a parody and it's like just, a parody yeah <laughs> or like late era weird out when yeah. he would just do like that like he was had a lot of electronic sounds and he just signed yeah. a talk like this and you're like okay yeah. like you know I, I get it you kind of are just a bad musician sometimes and not like a not you know a comic or whatever but like um but even through all that no i think it kicks ass you know i think that he uh he transcended which is not a rhizome thing. It's not a good way to put this, I guess. No, but it is a rhizome thing. It is a, like, uh, actually I would argue that it is like him being more connected into the rhizome than comics who try to individualize their path. as like, it's only about their rise in a certain system. It's a relative transcending. It's not up. It's in a direction that I like. Yeah. It's like a horizontal like transcendence, I think of expanding outside of his like vision of just what would make him successful. And I think that's what a lot of comics lack, like because there's like such an individualistic demand and take to your work. um, I think it leads most comics to only think in this like tunnel vision way of like, how do I get my success? And so any comic that I think is able to step outside of that tunnel vision and observe the system that you're all being forced to work within is amazing like it's transcendental comedy honestly yeah 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 no i mean that is the word i mean it definitely was like this person laid out a bunch of shit yeah really worked through it and then came to understand all of it and what it meant as a whole and then like moved above it and they transcended it and all that Mm -hmm. stuff of working through what the fuck is instagram and what are we doing and why how are we flattening the human experience out through social media and just experiencing all that stuff all plays into it totally and it's much more groundbreaking than tinder jokes and (laughs) all the shit that you just see comics doing you're just like i know what you're trying to do you're trying to just get you're trying you know what they want to hear you're playing to what you think is going to pay off or the critics are going to like or whatever. And you're just doing a little grift. And I guess I, I've been thinking about this a lot since we started since we talked about Tony Hinchcliffe the other week or whatever. And it's like, people don't get knocked down for, in this industry from a, a place of advantage. They get knocked back down to where they already belonged because they were like scoop, like trying to grab something ahead that they had no, they did not have the ability to back up you know, or hold on to, or yeah. the strength to hold on to. And that just happens fucking constantly because it's a, the g- g- comedy is a casino. If you walk in and you're like, I bet I can get ahead. I bet I can just fucking cash out and leave and, you know, I'd be the one guy that did it and no one fucking And then you're can. all trapped. You're all addicts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, anyway, I think that's, that's a good way to close the argument. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I don't have anything else to say. I thought it was good, but I also thought it contributed to my idea of, like, why I should stop working in comedy. And <laughs> I don't know. It was sad, but it was funny, and it was good. Watch it. Write to us. Let us know at uh, whyyoumadpod at gmail.com, whether you agree with our take or you have other takes on uh, Bo Burnham's inside. Yeah. see what bring up. Inside, outside. I want to put my tender heart in a blender. My tender heart is always in a blender. <laughs> All right. Um, That's the way I like it. <laughs> when's, when's the next casual sets? The next casual sets is 610. Um, June 10th. I mean, come out. I already feel like this is a sh- sinking ship. <laughs> that I'm just going to like All right. ride for the summer and then be out. Um, but if you guys want me to keep doing shows, you should come to the show. <laughs> so 610, check it out. Casual sets NYC on Twitter. Um, and then me, I'm Luisa Diaz nuts on Twitter and Instagram. 
I don't have anything else to plug. Ugh. I hope I hope to have less to plug in the next few months. <laughs> I forgot that you're in a really specific place this week. It's so funny because yeah. like the the past like ten episodes, yeah. you've been like comedy, comedy. Fuck the pandemic. I'm gonna do comedy. Yeah. And now I'm like, this is silly. I feel like I have other. <laughs> I don't know, Jake. I just very much feel like um, I came to comedy to connect with people, and then. Um, networking and like positions of power and all this stuff like became blockers to actually connecting with people. And so I'm increasingly finding myself less interested in the comedy world and more interested in just connecting with regular people, even outside of comedy who are into picking up what I'm putting down and having genuine connections with me. And I have zero interest in continuing to build like comedy connections in this way of like networking for business i hate it i have no interest i don't want you to talk to me i don't want you to network with me don't email me i hate it i hate the business side of this thing i am booked through august don't talk to me (laughs) and then i already i already know who i'm gonna book in august and september don't talk to me like just don't email me i don't i don't want to talk (laughs) oh man that rules (laughs) i'm sorry but i literally like i already know who i like in comedy the only people i want to talk to is people who want to connect with me as a person not with people who are trying to fucking better their career and whatever the fuck i'm sorry i understand that that's like a valid concern and thing that you should be working on don't bring that shit to me i don't i don't want to deal with it that is the most badass end of a <laughs> podcast I've ever heard. That's the best plug I've ever heard. I'm not even going to do plugs. I'm just going to end it right yeah, here. It's just Mike, plugs. Don't, don't talk to me. Mike, drop. Don't talk to either of us. Leave our families alone. <laughs> That's it. <laughs>